Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Club podcast brought to you by HalftimeCupper.com. My name is Danny Cook and we're back yet again with another fantastic guest talking about their coaching journey. And today we have Tristan Thomas, who I'll introduce in a second, um, and he's going to share his story with us. So uh, stay tuned for that. Of course, before we begin, you can catch up on any of our previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and our website at halftimecover.com. Um, simply on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, just search the podcast name and it will come up from there. So without further ado, Tristan Thomas, how are you? I'm good, Danny. Thanks very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How's, uh, how's lockdown keeping you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, obviously, it's been a bit different for me. I've come out to, come out to Sweden um, just over a month ago. So lockdown in the UK was pretty normal, similar to everyone else. Um, although I was doing a bit of work in, in a school, doing some kind of PE sort of lessons for, for key worker children. Um, but yeah, did, did a bit of coaching, some one-to-one sessions, and then got the call to come out to Sweden. So I've been here for just over a month now, and they didn't really have lockdown at all in Sweden. So it was quite quite surreal first coming out here and seeing people, you know, going about their daily lives as usual. Yeah, um, uh, that, must, that must have felt weird just seeing that. Yeah, it, it was really really odd. Like people like not having masks on and stuff like that however the town I'm actually in well it's not even a town it's a village really it's in the middle of nowhere it's in the north it's about five hours drive from Stockholm um and there's not much going on at all so it's uh, it's basically like being locked down anyway to be quite honest um there's like a, a little shop and uh and a pizzeria and stuff like that but apart from that there's uh, it's just football oh that sounds good that sounds nice nice and peaceful nice and peaceful um, so, yeah, I guess really the best place to start would be the very, very beginning and how you got into coaching and uh, why and, and what, what sort of led to you, you starting, really. Yeah, of course. Um, so obviously growing up, a uh, massive football fan from the age of zero, basically, uh, <laughs> always watched the game and, and then played a bit as well. Um, and then when I got to a certain age, I stopped playing and and did some refereeing um, as well. And then I, I got into the sort of like football writing and in particular the tactical and analytical side of the game. Uh, I read a lot of articles online and some books and things like that and watched some videos on sort of, yeah, like I said, the tactical side of the game and, and that really took my interest. So um, I tried to develop that um, side, of, side of things and um, started writing myself quite a lot and then, you know, began writing for a few websites, one of it, which is a, uh, a German-owned website, Spielvlagerum, but uh, wrote in English on there. Um, and a lot of the guys on there as well, they got into coaching and they were like, you know, it's something you've got to do, you know, get into coaching because obviously then you can use that kind of tactical background of things and, and really put it into practice and, you know, it will help with your tactics writing as well. So I thought, you know, that sounds like a good idea. So I did my level one and volunteered um, under sevens uh, just like a local club near me in Essex, nice. Nice. Um, which was obviously very, very different going from analysing like top level professional matches, coaching under sevens. It's uh, it's almost a complete <laughs> sport, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then kind of just took off from there. And then, so I did that uh, and then I finished my levels at 18 and then um, I went out to America. I went out to the States. I was there for two years. Um, coaching with a club out there in Boston in the northeast coaching players of all ages all abilities as well but like the longer I was there the more responsibility I was given and I had the chance to coach some better players and some very very good players to be honest and some good good teams and and learn from you know a few very experienced coaches which was a, a fantastic experience for me and I've still got you know contacts that I made out in America that are you know, that I can go to now for coaching advice or speak to about coaching and, you know, people that have become very, very good friends. So um, I was very privileged. And then I come back and um, picked up coaching uh, in the UK. I worked at Aldershot Town in the academy um, with the 18s and 23s assistant, but also leading with the under 13s. Um, I coached, obviously, with you at ASL, um, a private school in, in London, central North London. 
um, great experience. Again, it's kind of took me back to America, working with American players uh, and, yeah, a, a variety of different kind of places in England because I, I couldn't pick up a role sort of full-time because there's very, very little of that in the UK, you know, unless you're the top, top coach with loads of experience. So I was coaching at different clubs and companies. I worked at Guerva for a bit, you know, every single day. Uh, and then which led me to a role that I had at Soccer Chance Academy, uh, where I worked with one of your previous guests, Ricky. Yeah. Uh, worked there all of last season. Um, started So started just over a year ago there, which was fantastic experience, working with 16 to 19 year olds from North London. Um, you know, coaching 11 v 11 every day was brilliant. And then alongside some other coaching on the weekends and evenings. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's so many talking points from that. Um, the, the, you know, I've, I've got I've got things noted down. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of want to, um, I will bring up the refing in a, in a bit, but I kind of want to start with the tactical writing because that's such an interesting way you got into it um the the tactical writing element was it was it a case of you was watching a game and you was like ah this player should be here instead and you know or their shape looks a little bit off and then you just decided to turn it into written content or turn it into to pieces of content um and then you just sort of progressed from there really yeah if i'm honest i can't remember the you know the exact moment or or day where i kind of really it, it sparked my interest I suppose it was just through taking more of a a view of the game um through a lot of the writing I was reading you know having because I was, I was sort of very young when I started it's like maybe as young as 14 15 years old 13 14 15 and obviously having more access to the, to the internet and reading articles and on football in general when there must have been sort of more tactically uh, focused articles that that took my interest and then that's how I sort of started getting into into reading up on that side of the game. Obviously, playing for a bit of football manager as well always <laughs> helps, doesn't it? Always it, helps. <laughs> it always helps, you know, seeing all these positions and players and tactics and formations and and uh, yeah, obviously that lighting a kind of a fire within you to kind of um, yeah want to develop your knowledge of the game. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that definitely pushed me on. Um, so yeah, and then I just thought. I want to give this a go myself. So started writing. Obviously, the first few articles probably very, very poor. I don't know if they're still out there on the internet. If they are, you know, please don't go and read them. Um, <laughs> probably, yeah. but obviously, no, you've got to start somewhere. And where I think it's human nature, you know, it's probably not just me being a perfectionist, but where you're putting something out there for everybody to read, you, you know, you, you want it to be of high quality and you want it, you know, you don't want to put something out there on the internet that, is is low quality or you haven't put your everything into because then that obviously gives an impression of, of yourself to other people so then you go and watch the game you, you study even more just to make every single thing you put out there as good as possible basically and as correct as possible and as detailed as possible tactically so then just kind of developing my own uh, knowledge of the game that way yeah i can imagine that was very useful um, certainly for your later uh, coaching roles, maybe not your under sevens. Um, <laughs> yeah. But is it something that you would suggest and you'd recommend to people to have a go, even if it's not um, publicly publishing some of the, the content, but even just watching and trying to tactically analyse a game? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I suppose um, people can kind of get into football and get into coaching through two separate ways like one obviously enjoying working with kids and and working with people and building relationships and that side of things and then there's the other angle of people that are very kind of analytically minded and focused on maybe professional game or mv11 and and or very academic and, and stuff like that but you know if you can kind of marry the two um, so if you're someone that, you know, works very well with, with children or people of all ages and can structure a good session and has a good knowledge of how to develop a player, maybe individually or technically, then, you know, that's definitely something that you can do, tactically analyse a game to kind of, you know, expand your skill set, basically, and um, 
you know enable you to work at different ages and enable because even like with with uh, maybe not under sevens but you know maybe very young players you know there still are tactics in play I'm not saying you mm. should set them up in a rigid formation and you know, <laughs> doing low blocks high not, blocks and all sorts <laughs> you know, player off, they're not you know arriving in between the lines at the right moment and stuff like that but you know it's, it's something as simple as a one-two pass or something as simple as you know moving to create space or dribbling into space you know it's all tactics and it all kind of uh are the bits of the puzzle that add up to build to the end product the end uh player at 18 19 20 years old so um yeah it's definitely something that i'd encourage people to do like obviously if you can send it to someone or put it out there on the internet twitter in my opinion is great for that you know people read it and and <laughs> hopefully give give constructive <laughs> back. um yeah uh, and obviously send it to to maybe a coaching mentor or someone at the FA or someone that works, uh, you know, at a, a good level at a club or an academy um, to give you feedback. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I just recommend that as a way to develop your knowledge in football. No, that's brilliant. Uh, I mean, of all the all the guests we've had on so far, I don't think anyone's really sort of um, mentioned that as, as kind of their route in. So that that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm tempted to give it a try myself, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I want to go back to the, the refing side of it as well. Um, when did you start refing out of interest? At what age? When I started. So about thir- 13, sorry. I, I, I think we lost the, the yeah, mark there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 13, 14. I think I was 14... My, my birthday's in May, and I think it was the summer of my 14th birthday that I did um, the the refereeing course, whatever the first one is, level seven or something, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, you, you come as yeah. a level seven, yeah, yeah. So how how was that for you, and how long did you did you keep up with refereeing for? I refed kind of um, properly, so like most weekends until I was maybe 16, 17. And then obviously, like for a 14, 15 year old, like as you know yourself, you what, what age did you start refereeing? Uh, yeah, I was similar, similar age, 14. I think earliest, yeah. earliest you could be, really. As you know, like 20 pounds, 25 pounds is not bad money, is it, for someone of that age? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I mean, that's a couple of hours on a weekend, I know, especially if you can, you know, get two games in on a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's good money. But then, you know, when I've come 16, 17, I've got a different job working in, in a pub purely just to um you know because it's more hours more money so the refing had to move to one side for a bit but I kind of always kept it up like even when I went to America and then came back um to kind of get some money and fill some time I've refereed games um you know the last yeah. couple of years like college games and stuff like that so um yeah but properly I, I kind of only ref for a few years but I think I had too much of a maybe a competitive edge to kind of want to go into refing properly and do and work down the level six, five, four, and, you know, properly go down that route. I think, like I said, the coaching and the uh, tactical side of the game really kind of sparked my interest and, you know, for some of those things, it's just, I enjoyed that and I was probably better at that, to be honest, than I was at refereeing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, having shared a bit of that experience as well, um, and kind of gone from ref into coaching. I, for me, I think it was more a case of I wanted to work with people rather than um, people just just having a having a dig like for no reason. Like I'd rather work with people and try and develop and see progress week on week. Um, I think yeah. like I, I don't know if you ever had the experience to have proper like not not parents but proper linesmen or proper assistance um and you know i I was lucky to have that on a couple occasions um and and that was quality but i think going out by yourself was was a bit difficult at times very different but i suppose like especially my first ever game refereeing i i was 14 like i said and i think i was refereeing refereeing under 14 so 13 and 14 year olds oh jesus that must have been hard (laughs) exactly you know i was kind of chucked straight in the deep end i think even like back then it was um, there was probably less of the kind of um, protection or bubble that there is now 
with trying to get referees into the game. And I can see why, you know, there are so few referees and, and the FA are having a problem recruiting referees because, you know, it was a typical Sunday league. And like, like I said, like even now, I think there's a lot more education in terms of coaching. And, and <laughs> to be fair, it's not even education that's needed. It's just not being an absolute... Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so like the coaches obviously I made some horrendous decisions like as you would and as yeah. I'm sure you know you're probably a much better ref than I am as I'm sure you, well, did. you you've not seen me you've not seen me ref so <laughs> um it, as yeah you know as everyone probably does in their first few games I made yeah. some, some you know terrible decisions but and obviously at that level or that age group as well you know you, you get dug out and you get abuse shouted at you and you have to deal with that at that young age. So it's massive in terms of, you know, dealing with adversity and dealing with people and, you know, creating a kind of thick skin um, yeah. to then go into, you know, life and also football. In terms of like, I mean, I feel like you've bottled that really nicely. You've, you've summed that up nicely. Um, but you, you obviously refing players that potentially your age or just a year younger I mean that must have been that must have felt uh, quite nerve-wracking I guess to start off with and uh, it must have been really difficult yeah no it was um of course it was a bit nerve-wracking but I think you know in life I, I like that kind of you know feeling in the pit of your stomach that you're throwing yourself out of your comfort zone and I think you never kind of progress um, as a person until you've done that um, you know that's how you get better by making mistakes by putting yourself out there by you know taking yourself out of your comfort zone like I mentioned and then you know to kind of really nicely swing that back into a coaching chat that's yeah. you know, what as coaches we can encourage our players to do especially if we're coaching players of that age getting something like refereeing you know or, or whatever age do something externally that throws yourself out of your comfort zone or even within your own sessions and games can you uh, like you know, design practices and, and do certain things to push players out of their comfort zone and to make things difficult and to make them, you know, to challenge them mentally to, to overcome obstacles. So, um, yeah, definitely that was a massive life lesson for me, you know, being thrown into that environment at that age and, you know, how it made me a stronger person. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, was there anything else that you sort of transferred from refing into coaching? Um. I suppose maybe a slight kind of empathy of how difficult it is to referee. Maybe if you maybe recently that's kind of I've lost that. I've got less of that. But um, yeah, no, I think some of like I said, the abuse that referees get is is absolutely horrible. Especially you know if they've just started out or if it's you know not a very very high level. Like I'm sure, like even if I was awful refereeing that first game I'm sure there's players on the pitch that had much worse performances playing and made loads of mistakes but yeah. uh, you know <laughs> in the spotlight as much and didn't get the same sort of um you know abuse held towards them that, that the referee would so um yeah uh maybe I, I was a bit more understanding of referees going into coaching and you know obviously wouldn't be the sort of coach to uh to call out a referee you know just control what you can control yeah, that's that's really nicely put. Uh, the your first coaching role, as you say, was the under sevens. Um, how how was it going into that? Obviously, you you've not really, I presume, to this point, you you hadn't really had much coaching experience, so it was your first real sort of chance to get hands on. Um, did any any thoughts going into that? Was you nervous? Yeah, completely different again completely completely different like it's just weird um it's like anything really now I've kind of got a bit more experience coaching thinking back to not knowing a single thing like even like you know how to mark out an area or what to to do as a warm-up or literally anything especially you know my background in in the game had been myself playing at not a great level with coaches that weren't very good so it's not like I could think back to my own days and put on the sessions that the coaches did because, you know, the coaches, you know, they weren't the best coaches in the world, to be quite honest, the ones that I had. And obviously I couldn't, I don't think I was coached when I was under seven, eight, nine. I think I first probably started playing football competitively at maybe, maybe nine or 10 years old. So I couldn't really think back to what, how I was coached or the sessions that I was 
you know, put into because to be honest, I wouldn't want to put kids that I was coaching through that. Um, so yeah. yeah, it was, um, very, very different, uh, working with kids as well, you know, learning how to speak to, to, to children. And, you know, obviously, as you know, it's complete psychology working with that age, you know, forget football, it's kids will do the complete opposite of what you tell them to. So what you've got to do is try and find a way of saying things or demonstrating or, or, you know, just using psychology basically to, um, to get them to do what you think is best for them um, in terms of football, to develop them as individuals. But even that kind of piece, you know, going in at that age and only having the level one qualification under my belt, like this is before the FA changed the courses, the level one, level two, like I know for a fact now they're much more, um, well, they're much better basically, especially geared towards, you know, coaching children and younger children. You know, I didn't really have a full understanding of, you know, that at that age it wasn't about, kind of winning or or even playing good football or or passing or anything like that it was more or in my opinion anyway about making sure each child has fun and each child gets lots of touches on the football to develop them technically uh, and gets experiences to play in different positions you know against different teams and you know different formats 1v1 2v2 3v3 and stuff like that so um yeah you know I'd, what I'd give to to know all that stuff back then um but then obviously that's what <laughs> challenge and that what that's what makes you better you know and it's a good place to kind of experiment and work and and make mistakes because you know it's not you're not under any real pressure really and that's all part of the journey all part of the journey um so how how long was you with them was it just a one season thing or or did you did you stick around with them for a little while <laughs> yeah it was it was probably um maybe one and a half seasons. Um, I coached them up until I left really um, to go to America when I finished my A-levels. Um, so I was coaching at my school as well. Um, like I was, I went to a school where year seven to 13 were all together. So like a sixth form college as part of a school. So I was coaching uh, with the year seven team as well. Oh, nice. Last year there, which was good. Um, a good experience that uh, doing that. Uh, as well but yeah I coached that under sevens team one session and one game a week for yeah probably about 18 months I did that and saw some progression some success but obviously you know as I mentioned I, I kind of really didn't know anything um, at the time but, um, but yeah it's something that I, I certainly enjoyed and it's an experience that put me in, in good stead definitely. Yeah I'm sure it set, set you up nicely for uh, going over to the US um, before you sort of moved over there did was the US something that you'd always sort of had planned longer term or were, or was it just something that you just sort of saw a couple months after, a couple months before you got your results? Yeah, honestly, no, I didn't really even know that there, it was kind of a thing to go out and coach or play in America as an English person. I hadn't really considered it or anything like that. It was just, you know, as I was doing, I didn't do my A-levels and anything to do with sport, really. I did geography, politics and economics. Um, but then obviously I was doing the coaching and a lot of writing on the side and analysis at this point as well. I was doing like opposition scouting as well within the lower leagues and within non-league and stuff. Um, so I was kind of really building up the scouting and analysis side of the game as well. Um, so, um, so what, what was I going to say? Yeah. So I didn't really see university as a route I wanted to go down. I was kind of maybe done with education at least for one year. Um, at least for maybe, you know, do a year, then go back to university. I, I had a couple of offers to go to universities and stuff. Um, and I kind of made a promise to myself that if I didn't have any coaching full-time or, or a decent kind of coaching role lined up by the time I, I got my results for my A-levels, which is obviously in August, um, then I'd just go to university and just do like a sports coaching or whatever it was, sports, uh, an ex-science degree. Um, but yeah, luckily, uh, I got a Skype call about two weeks before my I got my results, maybe not even that, um, from a club out in America that I'd applied for online um, saying, yeah, basically we'd like to have you out to, to coach a few teams and do some what's, what's called sort of clinics as well on the side, like basically coaching sessions, local community coaching sessions, uh, and also work, you know, within 
our office basically as well uh, of the club doing um some like building curriculum and creating sessions for coaches and stuff like that so yeah i went out to america in august 2016 um and yeah and you never looked back then really <laughs> basically again like uh, same as the referee and that was um an experience that you know took me out of my comfort zone especially initially i've never kind of lived away from home or anything like that mm. you know getting on a plane to you know the other side, side of the world yeah <laughs> um you know it, it took a lot but because i had experiences like refereeing and that first under sevens coaching session i didn't know what i was doing behind me that kind of builds you up to do to make, make you know take more risks and uh, and you know put yourself feet first into more kind of uh, experiences so yeah um that that kind of really really set me up you know going out to america and being there full time and working like literally seven days a week, lots lots of hours, so many coaching hours out in America, you know, um, developing every day, every week there. So, um, yeah, it's Brilliant. something that I, I don't regret doing at all. Brilliant. And you know, whilst you was out there, what 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 sort of uh, challenges did you face um, by living in the US compared to like the UK? Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's a good question. Obviously, one like driving on the other side of the road, even things like I've never done that before until yeah. I went out there. And it was the club I worked at, it was a million miles an hour. They had so many teams and so many kind of um, like sessions that they, that they had to organize and things like that. And and a lot of staff as well. That you know, it was literally a case of just being handed a set of keys like two hours before my session, my first ever session. I had, um, I think it was like an under 10s group when I first went out there. It was a decent group, to be fair, some good players. Um, yeah, just being handed a set of keys and then saying, you know, get up the road with a bag of balls and a bag of cones and, yeah, sort of see you later kind of good thing. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, and I went to a pitch where, um, you know, I didn't know any of these players. I've never met them before, never met the parents. It was sort of all kind of done over email previously. Um, so, yeah, kind of had to meet them, introduce myself and, and put on a session and, and I started coaching that team um yeah other other challenges in the states um maybe working a lot kind of managing your time between working in an office doing some hours in a day where i was like i said i was working um in what was called the technical department uh, and then i worked my way up to a role as basically kind of technical director for uh, the northeast and for new england um the club which was you know a lot of teams a lot of coaches so i was like running cpd events and stuff uh, and putting out a lot of content to basically try and develop the coaches and and create more of a unity with how all the teams played and kind of spread the coaching philosophy of the club because as I mentioned there were so many coaches and a lot of them may be doing their own thing so to kind of educate particularly American coaches local coaches who hadn't had a vast kind of experience in uh, in coaching or weren't as well read in terms of you know pedagogy and and child development and player development and and the tactical side of the game as well like doing that filled up a lot of my time and then obviously coaching my own teams as well like there was a stage where I was I was coaching three teams you know over all the days of the week in the evenings and weekends as well tournaments matches um but again that kind of work that I put in was great for me because I was gathering so many coaching hours so you know maybe there's there's people that had been coaching for many years in you know different places different countries but you know if you've done more coaching hours than them you know you're probably more experienced you've had more hours on the grass and I was literally you know coaching 15 20 hours a week some weeks you know three four hours every night on the grass, which, as I said, was um, really, really good for my development um, uh, as a coach. And like, and like I said, as well, coaching some good players, like there's some very, very talent, talented players out in the States. Um, I think it's just when they get to a certain age, they kind of are missing a bit. It's not as professional here in terms of the academy system. And, uh, and obviously, it's a big country, so the talent is very much spread out and you've got to travel hours and hours to maybe play a team that is at the same level as you, you know, competition wise. Whereas 
obviously, as we know, in, in England, there's 92 professional clubs, um, all, you know, in a relatively small country. So it's the talent is very condensed and there's a lot of competition and a lot of very good coaches in America. It's, it's slightly different, more spread out. Um, the players are there, but, you know, it's just getting them all in one place, which is a challenge. Yeah, there's your, your geography um, at sixth form coming into play. Um, <laughs> the the I, I want to press on the culture. What was the culture like? Because uh, a lot of people said there's there's clear differences between coaching in the US and coaching in the UK. It, is that something that you noticed at all? Yeah, massive differences um, uh, in the US. So basically the club that I was at, it's a, it's a pay to play sort of model. Um, so basically where, like carrying on from my last point as well, where in England, you're either, you either play sort of Sunday football at an okay level, or you're good enough to go and play for your local academy team. Um, you know, uh, and as I mentioned in London, there's probably, I don't know, 20 professional academies. Yeah, I mean, there's so many in there. <laughs> throughout, throughout the leagues. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of options for you if you've got talent. Like in America, it's not like that. There's, I don't know how many, 24, 30 MLS clubs, something like that for a whole country, a country of, you know, hundreds of millions of people over a very, very large area. So that's where the kind of pay-to-play model fits in, where um, parents will, will pay good money to be honest, um, to have their child train two, three times a week and play a game as well, um, playing tournaments and, yeah, get good coaches, um, you know, quote-unquote good t- coaches, coaches from Europe a lot of the time, uh, maybe coaches like me that hadn't actually had a vast experience but obviously had a British accent, so therefore they must <laughs> absolutely everything about football. Uh, um, so... Yeah, because the the college system in the States promotes sports massively, obviously. So you can get a a college scholarship and it's a bit more expensive out there. There's a lot of, you know, angry people speaking about tuition fees in the UK. But in America, it's, I think, something like $50,000 at some universities for one year. So, And it's four years in America as well. So if you can get 50 grand off a year, you know, four years, you can do the maths, you know, it's worth the money paying for a player to you know get decent coaching throughout and decent kind of competition and exposure throughout their childhood so they can maybe you know go and get a college scholarship um so yeah that's one of the massive kind of cultural differences and then with that because parents are paying big money there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of pressure Mm. the club to have a high level of professionalism and there's a lot of pressure for the coaches to not even coach well just to kind of um, because you're talking about a very uneducated um, kind of customer. So there's the economics knowledge coming in from A-level. <laughs> it's, a, it's all coming out today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it wasn't such a waste of time after all it, <laughs> doing those subjects. Um, you've got a, what, what would you call it, a non-perfect market because you've got consumers, the parents who are very uneducated. So therefore... You know, the businesses, the clubs can charge big money for some things that maybe aren't very good. So a lot of coaches in America that are successful and I've got kind of names and faces going through my head right now that I won't, you know, put on air. But a coach with a, a, or kind of carry themselves with this big front, um, you know, be very much kind of a people person or a good business person rather than actually a good football person and good coach. And then it was kind of in this big club with lots of coaches, very, very difficult to to find people that were actually football people and did care about the kids and um, were, you know, interested in pursuing football co- pursuing football properly and coaching properly um, versus those that were, you know, just there for the lifestyle or, or the money or that kind of side of the game. Because, you know, if you're a British person, you can go out to the States and earn a very good living in coaching, um, you know, whether that be at a college or, or a club or doing one-to-one sessions or, w- or whatever it is. So, yeah, that's the difference in the culture where soccer is a middle-class sport. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of money involved. Um, obviously, there's a lot of money here in the UK, but that's mostly at the professional level and at the top level and the uh, at the adult level, whereas 
US, it kind of goes all the way through and there's probably actually more money at the youth club level than there is at the top level. In terms of that that pressure you, you mentioned, um, is that pressure, does that translate into results or uh, are parents more focused on performance and development? Like, is there is there much focus on results there? That's the thing, like, to be fair, same as here, it's all about parent education. Like, there is a big focus on results externally from the parents because uh, as an uneducated football parent would think, you know, if your team's winning games, they're doing something better. Obviously, at a kid's level, it, that's not the case. Um, you know, development is more important than winning and, you know, development often will take the place of winning. Um, especially if you know to take quite an obvious example a team is kind of playing long ball has one very very good player and they're always playing to that player and the the players aren't taken out of their comfort zones and played different positions or given equal minutes purely you know because the result is the main focus then you know it's going to take a big toll on the player's actual development Um, so there's that external pressure from the parents but then also internally potentially from the club because where it's a business if you all seem to be winning games and tournaments and leagues and stuff like that, um, you know, the the management of the club may feel that that's a good way to kind of market the club and, and get players to join the club. So, yeah, there is there is that pressure there. But, you know, if you can kind of stay true to your principles, I never that I never really let that get to me. I always was focused on development and winning because I knew, you know, what I wanted to achieve in football was, was you know, without sounding too kind of maybe arrogant was a lot bigger than than just you know an under eights league in the middle of, of Boston Massachusetts so um I yeah I'm really focused on, on development and I had good people there and good mentors and stuff you know to that I could speak to about coaching and development and what was best you know for the children you know looking back at, at your time in the US what what couldn't they do to kind of improve the state of the game would it be improve the the um, understanding of parents in terms of making them more educated or improving the coaching standards doing more cpd work like is there any sort of feedback you you'd give <laughs> the country as a whole in terms of their football yeah well if i was going to write a letter to donald trump on how uh, yeah yeah tell trump tell uh, trump how they're going to do it because <laughs> i know that's probably the top of his priority uh, yeah um it's, it's probably a whole nother kind of podcast and there's whole websites and podcasts dedicated to this very thing mm. uh, you know how the us can can kind of you know improve its its soccer and there's there's a lot of things main things maybe i think i do think the kind of pay to play model and the exclusivity of it takes away from the game um i think you know if it was more inclusive in terms of you know there was more access to the game and a good standard of coaching for players um you know from poorer backgrounds then that would potentially you know improve the the state of play out there and improve the chances of the national team etc um i think and i think there's been more of this less of a focus on college in terms of for a 15 16 17 year old a talented player maybe 5 10 years ago they'd be you know obsessed with going to stanford or harvard or or you know michigan or you know a top top division 1 or ivy league university to go and play you know soccer and and get a scholarship and get a, a top class education on the side of it i think now you know because obviously you've got examples such as christian pulisic he went from America, um, but obviously because of his family, he had, he had a passport, a European passport. So he went and played in Germany with Borussia Dortmunds from a young age and developed there. And you've got, you know, numerous other examples. Weston McKenney, you've got Canadian player Alfonso Davis, who's tearing up at the moment in the Bundesliga. Incredible with player. Incredible yeah. player, him, yeah. So obviously, like, you've got the talent there. But before, maybe they'd go, go to play college and... You know, I'm not sure how much you know and the, and the listeners know about that kind of system, but it's um, it's only it's only on for a few months a year, and the level of competitions maybe not great. Uh, but they're only playing from kind of September, October, November, similar to to our season at, at the um, at ASL. You know, the, it's like the American soccer sports season. 
so therefore players are missing out on development through throughout that whole time you know the rest of the year um what else could they improve um to be fair i think they're ahead of the uk and europe in many respects in terms of the facilities facilities are top class like every middle school and high school have um like a full 3g pitch artificial pitch that players that can can go and play on or people can literally jump on on the weekends or in, on evenings and and there's no problem whereas as you know in the uk you know you've got to pay dollar especially down in london to get a decent facility um and you know they're all locked up and and stuff like that so uh they're they're far ahead in other aspects also the fact that the children play multiple different sports because soccer is not always the main focus is good i think that kind of improves like the physical literacy side of things and and coordination and balance and and tactical things as well if you've got a player playing like basketball for example but i noticed that like the players i coached in the states that played basketball on the side that had a great understanding of space and movement and timing um and then some players that played like ice hockey for example that were very combative players on the football pitch that weren't as afraid of kind of uh, aggression and um, physicality and, and that side of things. So, yeah, um, the fact that they play multiple sports is, is a massive positive, but um, the, I guess they're maybe a tiny bit behind and it's different because it's not the main sport. It's not the main thing. If you if you go to America, unless you're talking down the south, Florida, California, or in the suburbs where there's a large kind, kind of Latino or Hispanic community, aside from that, you're not seeing people out, you know, kicking the football around. And you don't really see that in the UK much anymore, to be honest. But um, certainly in America, that's never been the case. So you've got players that come through and do a lot of ball mastery. Um, so that's how they kind of get into the game by practicing with the ball themselves at home, maybe being inspired by a coach at practice or by players on the TV, but working hard at home. Um, on their foot skills and stuff like that. Um, but then when it comes to maybe decision-making in the game and and the tactical awareness side of the game and, and working when there's threes and fours and fives, it's not just you and the ball, then they might kind of fall down in that respect. But as I mentioned, like some of the, there's some top, top players coming through in America, some technical kind of geniuses because they've got such great ball control because they've been there because, you know, they, they love the game and they, they practice it every kind of day um doing ball mastery is certainly a number of players that i've coached that 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 i've seen do that and you know turn into very very promising young players mm. that that links nicely onto a topic i do want to um talk about and i think you did mention earlier you you did a role with Coerva. um yeah. so do you mind just expanding on that what what happened i know we're jumping we're jumping probably beyond your order shot stuff here at the moment but I just want to find out and then we'll come back to all the shot. Yeah. Um, Cuerva, I worked at briefly um, for probably about four or five months when I was in the UK. Um, I, I, I'm not um, a huge advocate of the of unopposed side of the game. I do think 1v1 is very, very important. I've always been a big 1v1 advocate and believer especially in the foundation phase especially with players kind of 13 and under um i think it's massive i think there's so much kind of transfer from from 1v1 skills all types of 1v1s as well back to pressure attacking diagonally side to sides attacking face on you know 1v1 when the player's running at you um, when you're getting pressed so like what a center back or a holding midfielder might have to come up against versus a 1v1 that a winger or a, or a forward or an attacking midfielder would would uh, come into contact with where you've got the ball and you're running at a player. There's so many different types of 1v1. And I think it's so important. And I don't think there's many kind of uh, world-class or even professional players that don't have a great kind of 1v1 skill set. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. I just think, and even like ball mastery, you know, I think that there's certainly a place for it and it can certainly develop a player in terms of their coordination and and ball manipulation on both feet which is very very important like I said for me there's not a top player that doesn't have brilliant uh, ball mastery and ball manipulation skills I just think with Cuerva I found it very very rigid um, the kind of coaching program very rigid there's very little 
room for manoeuvre in terms of working with different ages, different abilities. Sometimes you were kind of putting square pegs in round holes where you had to follow this certain programme of work, even though it wasn't, you know, maybe the ideal for the player. However, I, you know, I took away some great kind of technical points and some great practices and some great individual kind of ball mastery skills and 1v1 skills away from work and work with some very, very good coaches as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a massive debate in football. And I think there's people at both ends of the spectrum. And to be honest, like anything in life, if you're at one end of a spectrum that, you know, you're, you're probably wrong, to be quite honest. So uh, I think you can definitely use um, that, that kind of unopposed technical grooving. Um, but as long as you marry it up with a lot of decision making on the ball, because that's what football is about at the end of the day, making decisions, whether that's in a full 11 scenario or, you know, just with opposition, 1v1, 2v1, 3v2. I think that's mm. massive. So, yeah. Good. Um, I want to go back to your Aldershot, Aldershot experience. Talk to me about that. Um, how, how did you come about that? Like, how, how did that opportunity happen? And then I guess really you... You said, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it was with the under-13s, but you also had the opportunity to assist with the, I think, the under-23s and the under-18s, which, uh, I mean, must have been a great experience. Yeah, so as a, after I come back from um, America, summer 2018, um, uh, I applied, obviously, for lots of coaching roles in the UK. Um, I wanted to, I thought it was time to sort of come back. Um, I'd maybe learn all there was to learn maybe not but you know I, I felt like to really accelerate my own development as a coach I had to come away from an environment where there were you know things that would potentially make me um, my standards slip you know where people around you aren't holding themselves to very very high standards in terms of coaching and obviously I was delivering a lot of the CPD and stuff like that so you know if I'm the person the kind of giving out information it's not always ideal in terms of pushing yourself on and, and, and learning yourself. So, you know, for me, it was kind of a no-brainer to come back to the UK and, and develop, develop that way because um, it's obviously the home of football and um, probably the, maybe the home of coaching as well. Like there's some top, top coaches and top, top player developers in and around London in particular. You know, that's where my experience is. So, yeah, um, I applied for the role all the shot and Ross, the academy manager, gave me a call and, and invited me down for a trial session and yeah I got the role coaching with the under 13s and then on the side of that they needed someone to assist um with the 18s and 23s just for a few months so I did that um yeah for, for a few months alongside my role with the 13s as well um but I was actually with the 13s for about yeah 18 months just over a year and a half um brilliant. And they were a brilliant brilliant group a top top group um you know probably and I think I can say this probably the best group or one of the best certainly in the academy not down to me at all you know I'm very very good players and uh, I'm sure you get credited for it (laughs) academy and yeah and the academy brought in some good players as well to come into that age group and um yeah so that was a fantastic experience working with those players and those players are going to go on to to reach very high levels I'm sure within the game you know some real real talented players great group to work with and you know potentially my most or certainly up there you know one of the most enjoyable um experience I've had coaching was working with that group really testing myself and it's a great age to work with um because obviously you can marry that that player development side of the game and the 1v1 side of the game um, with also, you know, developing the players kind of in terms of their decision making and tactically and, you know, working in in more of a system uh, and working in units of, of three and four versus where, like I said, with younger age groups, I think there should be more of a 1v1, 2v2 focus. So, um, yeah, you know, working, working at all the shot definitely pushed me on as a coach, working with, alongside some very, very good coaches as well. Um, and then, yeah, working with like the 18s and 23s was, was brilliant, you know, personally as well from a kind of um, delivery standpoint, working with, with players that were older. Um, they're kind of the oldest players I've worked with. I've worked briefly with the 17s and 18s in the States, but, you know, not for an extended period. So that was a, a good experience. 
um, like watching players that I'd coach play in the FA Youth Cup and, and things like that it was brilliant. And those players are starting to push into the first team now. Um, so wow. there's, you know, the first team manager, Danny Searle, to be fair, has um, shown a, a, an interest in playing youth players or giving them a chance or putting them in, in like the FA Vars, for example, or FA Trophy, sorry, for example, um, and, and going to youth cup games and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a few individuals now that have signed pro contracts with the first team and train and, and play and have got first team minutes in the, in the National League. So, you know, seeing players that you know, I've worked with and, and players that I've got to know go and do that is, yeah, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah, I bet that must feel quite quite special. And, and as you say, I'm sure that's that's really nice to, to see them on, on TV or, you know, have a look and see that they're, you know, if you're following the game on Twitter or something like that, you see that they're in the squad. That must give you a bit of a buzz. Yeah, definitely. I think um, like most Saturdays, I'd kind of check the, the team news and stuff and see or, or hear about on a Thursday or Friday who's what players are playing with the first team or in the first team squad or travelling away with the first team. And um, yeah, it was a really, really good club to work for from that extent. Like I know if you're working essentially at a high level, a, a Premier League academy or Category 1 academy, for example, then the first team or even the 18s and 23s don't want anything to do with the younger age groups. And there's no kind of way that a younger age group coach can even like go and watch training with the 23s or first team, let alone, you know, go and you know, deliver and be a part of it. So yeah. Um, the fact that I was given that opportunity um, to work at all shot in like a good Academy with good players and, and with some really down to earth people and coaches and under a good Academy Academy manager, that was, um, yeah, it was it was a brilliant experience, and uh, I was really really kind of lucky to to have that alongside my other coaching when I first come back to the UK. Did was there any kind of pressure um, with? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the younger ones because I would imagine as you as you, you kind of uh, mentioned there, they're a good group. Did you ever feel that there was any pressure on term, in terms of? Again, I, I guess results, but more so their development. Did you feel any pressure from the club, parents, yeah. or the players themselves? Yeah, I think, oh, well, I was very, very lucky. Like at all the shot, the academy manager and I like shared very much the same philosophy in terms of development first over winning and kind of what was best in terms of session design and in terms of game day coaching. You know, what the best way to conduct yourself was to, to, get development in terms of equal playing time and rotation of positions and, and um, playing good football, playing with the ball on the floor and, um, you know, encouraging dribbling and the younger age groups in particular, encouraging 1v1, encouraging working with the ball in tight areas. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to that extent. And then obviously it was very much a challenge, especially at first. Like I think, to be honest, in the past, because um, the academy manager was quite new when I come in as well. Um, I think in the past, the group and the parents weren't used to what we were trying to do in terms of playing out from the back uh, in terms of equal playing time and and all that kind of stuff that I just mentioned. They weren't as used to that. So obviously when they, you know, when they're not as educated and uh, and then they see a coach doing that, they're, they're, there might be a lot of questions thrown up if they're not used to it. Um, so again, it's, it's a massive push in terms of educating the parents and educating the players into why you're doing those things and why you're making those decisions and uh, and what they need to do to kind of um what you go forward and improve um yeah it's it's, it's it's different so there's some pressure to an extent but i think you know just like like life and, and football it's all about creating relationships relationships with people and i think if you can build a certain level of trust with the parents um and with the players and that they can see that you know you're doing the right thing by them your heart's in the right place and you you know you're you they understand why you're doing what you're doing then I think that kind of pressure naturally goes away um and naturally sort of now looking at the the other end the 18s the 23s was there any sort of internal challenges so challenges that you had to face um basically mentally um, with, with yourself in terms of working with a group that you you, you hadn't worked with before, um, an age group that you ha also hadn't worked with before um, in an environment that is obviously totally different. 
yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, there were there were in our challenges working with with kind of older players with um, you know not being so many years older than myself and stuff. Um, maybe kind of gaining the respectable players um, initially and and you know putting on practices that are going to challenge them and push them and coaching in a slightly different manner and coaching in a way that they're not too unfamiliar with. I think with younger players, it's easy. Like, for example, if you've got under sevens group, like I first had, they've never, you know, really been coached in their lives. So you can do anything uh, and they'd kind of take it as read and take it as given and, and hopefully go along with it. But, you know, if you're coaching an older age group um, or adults, they're going to have in their head what they've done in the past a lot more and kind of compare you to, to what they've seen before so um yeah maybe if you if you step too far away from that as a coach then the then the players might you know not fully kind of understand that if that kind of makes sense so in terms of like um like for example driving a session maybe like with your voice or, or putting on certain types of practices if you if you're doing other things like possession practices when they might not have done that before or things like that then um yeah obviously you're, you're giving the players what they're they're kind of not used to so straight away that's gonna that's gonna take them out of their comfort zone but also maybe you know make them question you as a coach but I think like with anything um if a player, you know, sees that you're a good person and you want to do the right by them and um, that, you know, you've got a lot of integrity about you and uh, and you do have some knowledge in the game. Then I think over a kind of a longer period, they, they, they certainly respect that and they certainly um, kind of kind of see that. So, um, yeah, but initially there definitely were some challenges in terms of getting all the players on board with like my style and stuff like that. But um yeah, and I, like I said, like there's some very, very good players and good people in that group that I still kind of keep in contact with and watch their progress and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I kind of learned to deal with those challenges very, very quickly. But certainly I put that down, working with under 18 and under 23 players, I put that down along with, you know, flying out to America or doing the refereeing or, you know, throwing myself into coaching completely new or coming out here to Sweden, for example, mm-hmm in terms of a list of, you know, some obstacles that I've maybe had to overcome that have made me better as a coach. Yeah, fantastic obstacles as well. Like, you know, they're really great sort of landmarks um, and that kind of, you know, shines a light on, on what you've achieved. So uh, that's fantastic. The I guess the last real question in terms of the order shop bit before we come on to ASL and then where you are now, um, the... Obviously, the working with the older players, and like you mentioned, you had to win their respect, earn their respect. Uh, Was there anything you did in the short term to kind of help improve that or help speed that process up at all? Sorry, sorry, in terms of what I I cut out for a second. Oh, sorry. So, I mean, in terms of um, you working with the older players and you said about having to win their respect or earn their respect, was there anything that you did, whether that be in training um, or just generally off the pitch, um, to to earn their respect quicker? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's a good question. Um, I think first part is maybe look at the coaches are around you, the other coaches that I was working with. I worked with, you know, some big coaches. The academy manager worked with those age groups as well, and and, and, and sorry, and. and and another coach, a PDP lead as well. So, um, so yeah, I kind of saw how they coached and I learned off them very experienced qualified coaches and I kind of tried to mirror what they did to a certain extent, but still be myself as a coach, um, but kind of, you know, do what they did in terms of maybe session design or how they would be during the session and stuff like that. Uh, and I think in general, in terms of coaching, um, at all ages and levels, like, off the pitch or when whenever you get a chance like building bridges and building relationships with the players is is vitally important um it's really really important because i think you know a player is more likely to have <clears throat> trust in you if um you know they can see that you're a good person or if you can create some sort of dialogue with them away from the game and away from football um 
about other things about their family life or what they've been up to or if it's a younger player how their day was at school and stuff like that you know if you can get those conversations going and create relationships that way then you know once you step on the pitch I think they'll have a lot more trust in what you're doing uh and yeah show you know kind of more uh, of a respect towards towards you and and your knowledge and take things on board and um and yeah make kind of life easier for you as a coach so yeah certainly that having those conversations and building a, a trust with the players is is vitally important in my opinion and that brings us to the end of this episode, um, part one of Tristan's coaching journey. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. It's been fascinating for me to interview him. And um, as I say, part two is up next. What you can do in the meantime, you can, of course, make sure that you don't miss out on part two by subscribing to the Halftime Cuppa Coaches Club podcast on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes. And um, if you don't like doing either of those, you can, of course, follow it on our website as well, halftimecupper.com. And you can follow Tristan on Twitter using his handle, at Tristan T Coach. All one word. Go and follow him. As you'll hear at the end of part two, he's very open to uh, giving some support to you guys and any questions you may have off the back of this podcast so if you are interested um, by all means reach out to him he's a great guy a great coach as I'm sure you picked up from this this podcast you can of course follow us on twitter as well at halftime underscore cuppa and you can also follow my personal account at Danny Cook 1996 so until next time stay safe and goodbye